Hello and welcome to the Sunshine and Power Cuts podcast. My name is Heather, your host, and if you're new to this podcast, please go ahead and listen to episode zero, where I let you know what this is all about. This is a power cut episode, so in it I'm going to share honest insights into what it's like living off the grid. Because it's the first power cut episode, I'm going to give you a bit of a background on what our system is so that you can see what I'm working with. If you like this episode, please go ahead and subscribe so you can join me for the next one. And if you know someone else who might like it, please share it with a friend. Before we begin, I need to emphasize this disclaimer. Every off-grid system is going to be unique. And the reason for that is there are so many different components that can go into a system. There are different configurations and there are different purposes that they serve. I encourage you to contact me and tell me what your off-grid experiences have been like and you can do that on Facebook at Sunshine and Power Cuts or on Twitter at SunPowerPod. And if you're not off-grid but you want to be, let me know about what you want to do and where you might want to be off-grid in the future. I've been really looking forward to this episode just for a change of pace. But as I was scripting it, we'd just come out of some really bad weather here. It's sort of the end of winter going into spring and we'd had a whole week of sunshine. So it's kind of hard to add a little bit of a darker tone to a podcast when you've got so much energy and motivation and happiness from the sun being out. If you aren't familiar with any of the terms that I'm about to discuss, I will put some links in the show notes and descriptions there and I'm not going to go heavily into the tech because... That's not really the point. The point about this is about relying on the weather for power. We didn't go off-grid on purpose. It was going to cost too much to get power to our site. And we didn't choose the site specifically for sunshine hours. We had already got the site and then the solar power was a decision made when we were building. The tech behind our system, we have 12 solar panels. A couple of them are less than 200 watts, like maybe 190 watts. And that's because we started out small. We started with one panel and we added two more and then we've added another nine eventually. So the first three solar panels are on the end of our house roof and we decided that that wasn't such a good idea because solar panels need cleaning. Other nine we've put on a shed that we've built into a hill and you can access them from the ground which is a lot easier. They are on an angle of 25 degrees and they are north facing so we do make the most of what sunshine we do get here and we're lucky that it hits the panels quite early in the morning and in the summer that leaves them quite late in the evening but in winter time the sun kind of disappears around 3.30 and that's because we live at the bottom of a hill so again not ideal but that's what we're working with. We have 16 225 amp hour 6 volt crown batteries, so they're like deep cycle batteries and they're wet cell batteries, which means they need deionized water in them to top them up. And you need to check them regularly to make sure they don't get burnt out. They're wired in series, so there's four batteries to a series, which means we have four. They're connected to an outback inverter charger, which is connected to the outback regulator. The regulator takes the voltage from the panels and reduces it down to the 24 volts and the inverter charger will obviously charge the batteries and change the power from DC to AC for the house. We have a backup generator and we've actually been through three. This is our third one. It's a diesel generator at the moment. The first two are petrol ones. We don't get as much sunshine hours as other places in New Zealand and in wintertime the weather's rubbish anyway so we need something to be able to top up the batteries and give them a full charge so we run it quite a lot in the winter time we have a basic system we don't have a lot of home automation or any smart meters or anything to 
sort of manipulate when things are turned on but depending on how much power we're making we do that all manually so it's a bit of a challenge but I am based at home so that kind of helps. In New Zealand we can collect rainwater from the roof and store it in tanks so we have one water tank with a two-phase water pump to pump the water to the house and a filtration system to clean the water. We also have for our septic system it has its own standalone solar power system so it has two panels and four gel batteries which means they don't need the deionized water to take care of them and they're kind of like a standalone unit which is quite good if i was doing it again i'd have the water pump on its own system as well just because it's quite a draw on the house power when everyone someone flushes the toilet has a shower or the dishwasher runs or you turn taps on and things like that so we do have a dishwasher but i'll go into that in a little bit to heat our home and our hot water we have a Wagner Fairburn wood fire wet back with oven. It's a great freestanding firebox with oven on it and it looks like an old fashioned coal range. It's black and it's got that antique look to it, but it's not as bulky. It's quite a narrow frame and it's amazing. It cranks out the heat and it heats the hot water fairly fast with a three kilowatt wet back on it. We have a fairly large hot water cylinder which stores our hot water we did that on purpose so that when we light the fire we've got a large volume of water that's hot and we don't need to necessarily light the fire every day. The hot water cylinder is attached to the electric now. It wasn't in the beginning. When we built up our system to what it is now we thought in the summertime we're making excess power we can put some of that into heating hot water and sometimes we do that but we didn't really have summer this year so that was a challenge and we, have, we don't really use it as the main way of heating water we use the fire. For cooking, I don't do all my cooking on the wood fire oven, partly because it does take a long time. Not as long as back in the olden days on a coal range, but it still is longer than using gas. So we have a freestanding gas oven and hobs, and I love it. I would never go to an electric oven ever again. The electricity it uses is for the automatic ignition on the knobs, and you can bypass that with a lighter and also the oven light, which you don't need to turn on. We now have a highly efficient fridge freezer, so it's an LG uh, four and a half star energy rated one and we only got that I think this year and it made such a difference to the amount of power we were able to save and when you're off grid you become naturally conservative because you have to work within your limitations of how much sun is out or wind whatever whatever way you're generating your power you've got limits and so you become very conservative everything gets turned off nothing that's not necessary to be on is turned off and you really do need appliances that are efficient. We had hand-me-down fridge freezers before, which we're grateful for, but man, they sucked power like nothing on earth. We'd wake up in the morning without power just because the fridge had been running overnight. So we don't have that problem anymore, and it's amazing. It made a huge difference. We've got a washing machine, a dryer, and a dishwasher. And I run those when the sun is out or when the generator's running and we need to catch up. Yeah, so that is the tech behind our system. And if you have any questions, please let me know. But like I said, the tech isn't really the point because every off-grid system is going to be different. You might choose a whole different bunch of components and configurations of the batteries or solar panels. And you might go 12 volts instead of a 24 volt system. So yeah, that's what I'm working with. It's been a challenge. We've been off the grid since 2011. And here's the insights into it. When you tell someone that you live off the grid, you've got those people who are really excited by it. They're like, wow, that's so cool. They imagine somewhere 
in the countryside with beautiful wildflowers and the sunshine beaming down and freedom and stuff and you're like yeah yeah it could be like that but then you also know from experience that like I said you become conservative but I'm literally watching how much power you make all day and again we could have a smart major and that could do that for me but I don't so it's a manual job I think about power more than I probably want to and I love going on holiday as odd as that sounds I love going and wasting power which sounds terrible but it's such a break to have not have to worry about it but I do think it's very good to be self-sufficient in that sense like when our neighbors who are all grid connected have a power cut we don't and partly we skite and we turn all their lights on so that we're the only ones shining in the whole valley you've got to take a small win when you can too and we are if if something happened to the national grid we're not affected by it at all and even if we have a power cut we're able to turn our power back on we're not restricted in that way and i think that's amazing in this day and age that brings me to the end of this first power cut episode it was probably a bit light but hopefully you enjoyed it and check out the next one. The next one will be more of the anecdotes of our experiences and until then, be empowered by nature.